One summer, I did an internship with McKinsey, and those were the 10 worst weeks of my professional life. <laughs> Welcome to the Swisspreneur Show, a podcast about startup stories and learnings from experienced entrepreneurs. Here's your host, Sylvan. Bettina, a warm welcome to the Swisspreneur Show. It's a pleasure to have you here today. Thank you for having me. You are the co-founder and CEO at Julie, an app for managing chronic health conditions, and you're also well-known as an investor at the Swiss Shark Tank version, Hule de Leuven, Switzerland. So before we talk about your impressive entrepreneurial journey, we want to dive right into the story of how you got there. The first question is, how soon did you actually know that you wanted to be an entrepreneur? Hmm, that's a little difficult. I always knew I wanted to do something in business or I wanted to study law, but you know, I only had role models that in my family that did entrepreneurial things. Um, my four grandparents were all entrepreneurs. My grandmothers had their own businesses. My grandfathers had their own businesses. And my parents also never worked for anybody else. They were, um, my mom had two pharmacies. My dad is a doctor and has his own practice. So Nobody in my family really had a nine to five job. And I guess that was, you know, made it much easier for me to envision becoming an entrepreneur. Was it ever an option for you to take over the family businesses that you had in there? No, I didn't. I really didn't want to, uh, you know, study law or become a pharmacist. Um, that wasn't something that I really wanted to do. I did really want to become a coal miner because my grandfather was a coal miner. Um, but then he said, look, honey, they don't let girls or women into the mines. Mm -hmm. So I thought, well, you know, maybe I can do something like be an entrepreneur, like my grandfather, who I really admired. Um, he had given his business, his coal wholesale business to his son. So, um, for me, yeah, I, I thought that um, what he did and what he accomplished uh, was sounded fun. He taught me, you know, how to negotiate. He told me all about how he conducted his business. And when I founded my first startup, he actually, he had given me some money to save. And um, I asked him, Grandpa, can I use that money and put it into my company? And he said, yes, I should do that. And yeah, so I was off to the races with my first company. So inspired by the entrepreneurial backgrounds of your family, you still had to find your own entrepreneurial play field or playground, basically. How do you then identify what you wanted to do within the field of entrepreneurship? Well, first, I actually didn't think that I could become an entrepreneur right off the bat. Okay. Um, I thought that I would have to go up through the ranks and get some experience and work for a real company. And I studied at the University of St. Gallen and, you know, all of the other students, my friends, they wanted to go to work for consultancies like McKinsey or BCG, or they wanted to go to Goldman Sachs or, 
JP Morgan, things like that. Um, and I actually tried it one summer. I did an internship with McKinsey and those were the 10 worst weeks of my professional life. <laughs> Why so? It was, it was just the atmosphere there. It was like everybody was grading everybody constantly. And it, I felt like it was a Stasi thing um, because everybody, it's sort of this up or out mentality. And so it's everybody against everybody. And that was something that I found just abhorrent. Also, I didn't feel very comfortable telling people that were 30 years my senior um, what they should do. I, I felt that was just, uh, I don't know. I, I found it, I hadn't been raised to do that, right? Mm -hmm. uh, you're raised to be respectful of your elders, but you go in there as an, <laughs> as an intern and uh, you're supposed to create a concept for a big company where you honestly have no idea. And um, they bill you as this wonderful, um, talented person that studied with Professor so-and-so. Anyway, um, that showed me that that was not the right path for me. It really, like shook me awake because I, up to that point, I'd done internships that were cool. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I interned in the uh, U.S. Congress and the German Bundestag. I sold oil. Um, I sold stationery to the me Middle East. I was in a bookkeeping one. I was in the strategy unit of a, a big company. But also during those internships, I always found myself fantasizing about liberating the people there because, you know, I was a lowly intern and they could confide in me because they knew I was leaving, you know, pretty soon. So they would tell me about their work and they would always tell me, you know, if I could make the decisions, I would do this. If I, you know, had the leeway to create this, then this would happen. And so I always really, these was thought I can liberate these people uh, from their corporate chains and then things would be a lot better. So, you know, that was kind of the thing. And um, I came to entrepreneurship because at the University of St. Gallen, I was president of the student government. And, um, and while I was that, I co-founded an initiative called START which is uh, these days the largest student-run entrepreneurship conference um, worldwide, I think, actually. Yeah. It's been around now for 25 years. And so my friends um, who co-founded that with me, they actually went on to found a company called Brains to Ventures, which was kind of a founder dating platform back in 2000. And so they matched me up with two engineers from the Swiss Federal Institute of Technology in Zurich. And I got to know them and we really liked each other. And they had this technology that they'd worked on for a decade and more, um, text-to-speech software. And yeah, they offered me to be a co-founder and gave me a sizable chunk of the company. And I haven't looked back. 
Wow, that's an amazing story. <laughs> I still wonder, you know, you, you said like you never thought that eventually you could become an entrepreneur. Uh, so you also did this small detour there to McKinsey. What then, you know, sort of motivated you to take the leap and, and really say, hey, I want to now do it. This is the perfect timing, the perfect opportunity for me. Well, Were there any doubts in, you know, when you made that decision? Yes, of course. I did not think that I would be successful. Um, and I was really hesitant, but at the time I had a boyfriend who also had founded a company and he was like, are you kidding? Of course you can do that. Why don't you be, you know, more self-confident? You can do this. And so, um, yeah, he encouraged me and I, you know, said, okay, if this doesn't work, I can always get a job at McDonald's. So that was my backup plan <laughs> to work at McDonald's if I didn't, you know, if I failed in this. And for a long time, it was really tough. I mean, we started off pretty well, but then the telecom industry collapsed in 2001. And also, you know, there had been um, the dot-com bust. So things were really hard for a number of years and we had to fire half of our staff, more than half of our staff. We had to go on short time work. We had to essentially furlough our, our people. And yeah, it was like several times we, you know, almost didn't make it. Um, but, you know, I raised 8 million for that company and we sold it for 125 million. So not a bad outcome. That's really impressive. What kept you going in those tough moments? Why didn't you give up and say, hey, I tried it. It's too too difficult or it didn't work out. Let's close the shop. What kept you going in those tough moments? I think the, the founding team, you know, um, my co-founder and it was the CEO. I was the COO, Volker Janssen and I, we worked so closely together. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, when he wasn't feeling so well i was there and the other way around and um yeah i'm not a person to stop doing things i'm really a person to just i don't know just keep the faith um but yeah for a while it was it was really really tough so um yeah and i went to work every single day and, and i walked past um, the bakery and I walked past the kiosk and I walked past the painter and I'm like, all of these people can make money. Like they make money and they make money and they sell what they have. Why am I too stupid to sell what we have? Um, and then we had a, a, a breakthrough actually, our text to speech software which today is everywhere, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> you can talk to Siri, you can talk to Alexa, you can talk to Google, you talk to your car, everything. Um, and we thought at the time the killer application was to, ha to have an automatic way to speak to directory assistants. You may not even remember what this is, but if you needed a phone number back then, yeah. you would call up... Um, in Switzerland, the hundred um, elfi, the one eleven, and there would be friendly, mostly women there. And you'd say, um, "I need to 
speak to Hans-Urli Schmidt in Urdorf and they would tell you the number. And that was obviously really um, cost intensive. Mm -hmm. So there were uh, things where you could automate it. And our idea was that they would pronounce the names and the numbers back to you. Obviously, completely these days you'd think, oh my God. But so that fell apart when the telecom bust happened. Um, and then we figured out our software is really small. It was only two megabyte was the kernel of it. And it was like, well, maybe we can use this as embedded software. We tried all other kinds of things like speaking cows with the Swiss Milk Association. You know, we tried like these speaking avatar cows. We, you know, did things for blind people, which is very original, like the the original reason why text-to-speech software was created to read aloud things for mm -hmm. blind people. Um, but then we came up uh, with the idea to talk to companies, to automotive companies. And, um, you know, we did these little projects for them and they were like, this is really cool. Um, we're going to put you into the Mercedes S-Class. And we were like, oh my God, this is like, that's amazing. Like any new technology that goes into the S-Class at Mercedes, because they invented the airbag, they invented the ABS, other car companies are like, hmm. So we went to the others, you know, we weren't supposed to, but we said, hey, the S-Class is going to have this in it, S-Class. <laughs> so we started collecting all of these contracts and um then we figured out that we were charging because our software was very easily portable our our software was um we charged very little to port that to the platforms and the chipsets that they the automotive platforms had we charged about forty thousand, and by chance we figured out that our competition charged 400,000. So once we did that, we were profitable instantly. Yeah. Um, and then we got, you know, three, four, five dollars for every car that went off the assembly line. Yeah. And that was like printing money because we had covered all our costs with this yeah, sure. porting. So anyway, so that was, uh, yeah. And, and uh, we banked all these contracts and that was sort of the reason then that our biggest competitor had to buy us up. Amazing. And then that's how you actually also figured out how to make money, not only the, the local shops that you saw while yes, walking around. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. I was like, finally. Unfortunately, my grandfather, who had given me the um, 30000 to start the company, passed away before I could show him that we could do this. You know, just two more years or so, and he would have seen that we were yeah. profitable. But I'm sure he knows. <laughs> I'm sure he would have been super proud. So after this first success with Swox, you then actually also spent quite some time in the U.S. So first of all, why did you go to the U.S.? I went to the U.S. because um, that boyfriend of mine that encouraged me to um, go to <clears throat> to start entrepreneurship, I actually married him. His name is Andreas Göldi, and he is 
now a partner at um, at a VC fund called B2V, which is short for Brains to Ventures. <laughs> <laughs> you see how things, you know, go full circle. <laughs> yes, there it will go full circle, and it went full circle. Um, yeah, so um, he had sold his company. Namix, which is a large tech consultancy, uh, he sold that and um, then was sort of had his earnout and wanted to and started working for the acquiring company. He mm -hmm. hated it. He hated it so badly that um, he said, "Look, um, I had promised you to go abroad because I didn't want to stay in in Switzerland for my whole career. I didn't think that that was." you know, what I wanted originally, but, um, you know, I fell in love with a Swiss boy and I knew that Switzerland would continue to be in my life. You know, I, I'm originally from Germany. I spent, um, a good chunk of my childhood in the United States. So, um, Andreas and I decided to go to MIT to, um, get a master's degree there. So Andreas and I decided to get a mid-career master's at MIT. And out of MIT, I founded my second company, Pixability, which turned into a video advertising optimization platform, mostly for YouTube, um, also for other um, social media platforms and streaming TV like Hulu and Roku and others. Um, I raised... $28 million for that company. Um, I was CEO for 10 years. And then um, we wanted to come back to Switzerland. Um, specifically, my husband wanted to come back to St. Gallen um, because obviously you can't have children. We had two children by that time that speak Swiss German with a Zurich accent. <laughs> Right. So no, 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 that was not acceptable in our household. Um, so we moved back for family reasons to Switzerland. I handed over my CEO duties to a professional CEO that we hired and I'm still on the board. The company is profitable and hopefully we'll see a good exit from that soon. Hopefully yeah. you've already walked that walk in the past. So mm -hmm. Now I also wonder how did the U.S. actually change or shape you? Because you spent uh, already some time there uh, when you were younger, then you, you came back. Mm -hmm. The U.S. seems to have quite a significant uh, effect on you as a person. It also certainly changed you a bit. So what, what did the U.S. do to you as an entrepreneur? Um, yeah, so I moved with uh, my mom and my brother to the U.S. when I was six years old. So I learned to read and write in English spent all of my elementary school years there. And then we moved back to Germany. Um, and I um, graduated from high school there and then went to Switzerland. Um, my father's lived in the US now for 40 years. So there's obviously that family element there. And, you know, for 40 years, I've had a Texan stepmom who is very, very dear to me. And I would go almost every school vacation. I would go to the U.S. Uh, to see my dad and my stepmom. So that was my constant connection there. Mm -hmm. But we moved to Boston and we stayed there for, for 12 years. Um, I actually have spent more time in the United States than I have in any other country. So there's definitely a, 
an American component to what I do. And, you know, when, when I was in elementary school, I, um, frequently heard from my stepdad, if you put your mind to it, you can do anything. That's really the American, um, credo. They really say, um, you can do everything. You can aspire to be anything. And that's, that's the whole mentality there. And people actually give you a chance to, to prove that, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's not the same starting point for everybody, obviously, right? Um, there are people that have more inherent advantages. If you go to the right school, if you have the right ethnicity, if you have the right gender, but in general, people really, um, it's not about the status that you start with. It's about how much you accomplish, right? And uh, Americans love rags to riches stories. They're, you know, not into who is, um, you know, prince so-and-so and baron so-and-so, right? Um, they're into who made a billion dollars and how did they do it? And they, every American somehow comes with the mentality that they can do that too. And that seems to be quite a contradiction to what you find here in, in Europe, especially in Switzerland, to a certain degree. How do you perceive that? Um, yeah, I mean, in Switzerland, there are things that are a lot more pleasant because things are more low-key. Mm-hmm. People, um, you know, understatement and modesty is is a value that the Swiss hold very dear. But I think it keeps people from having the ambition to accomplish bigger things to think bigger and that makes it um, harder i think for for startups or for people to go and start new companies because their surroundings may not be as supportive as they would be in the united states Mm -hmm. and as an entrepreneur what does that do to you because you still spend a lot of time in the u.s with your current company yeah is the u.s the better playground for you to to you know be active in than switzerland or europe in general well you know i have to be honest um i've spent the majority of my career working in the united states so that's where my professional network is right and um where i have you know a certain credibility Mm -hmm. um when i came back to switzerland i was like wow i've been gone for 12 years and nobody knows me here. Um, so it was actually quite cool that I got um, chosen to be a shark on the Swiss version of Shark Tank because that gave me like instant notoriety. Right. <laughs> um, um, but still, you know, from I've only founded uh, venture capital founded com- funded companies, and um, I know that's the thing that I know, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the mid-sized family-run companies is something that's, you know, in Germany and in Switzerland, very traditional way to, to do that. Um, but my companies have always come out of universities. Um, Julie now, um, I founded together with a professor from University College London, and we're a chronic condition care platform. So we help people manage their chronic conditions with our Julie app. And we connect that with their insurance companies or with their doctors or 
um, employers who in the United States pay most of the health care costs, mm-hmm. um, at least for people under 65. And, um, you know, the U.S. has a f- almost $4 trillion health care market. Um, there are inefficiencies there like you couldn't believe. And that made it obviously very attractive. In Europe, you have to go country by country. Every country has its different healthcare systems. Mm-hmm. Actually, the Swiss healthcare system is um, closest to the US one, interestingly enough, apart from that here, the employers don't pay anything. Right. So in the yeah. United States, actually, you get more support from from your employers than you get here. Um, but a- another big thing was that electronic health records mm-hmm. are not readily openly available here. Um, what we can do in the United States is we can ask each patient for their permission mm-hmm. to, um, can we connect to your electronic health record data, and then we can match that with your smartphone data, your wearables data, um, with environmental data like weather, or air pollution, sunlight hours. Um, and then you as the patient tell tell us every day how you're feeling, and we can ingest all of that data, apply our machine learning models to that, and give you recommendations on what to do. So um, there were a couple of reasons why we decided to do that in the United States, and they kind of all fit fit together. So yes, uh, Julie, again, is a, a U.S. company, and I spend about 30% of my time in the United States. Today's episode is brought to you by Relay. Relay is a Bitcoin-only investment app from Switzerland available on Android and iOS that gives everyone an easy and secure way to invest in Bitcoin with minimal barriers to entry. No deposit, KYC verification or registration is required. After you download the app, just choose the amount of euros or Swiss francs you want to invest and make the payment using a bank transfer. That's it. You can start with as little as 10 euros or Swiss franc and pay 0% transaction fees until the end of 2021. Alternatively, you can automate this process by starting a weekly or monthly savings plan and buy Bitcoin at regular intervals. To learn more, head over to relay.ch slash ambassadors slash Swisspreneur and buy Bitcoin with Relay, Europe's easiest Bitcoin investment app. then wouldn't it be better or at least less stressful for you to move back to the U.S.? Um, well, you know, my children have, our children have six cousins here. Um, my mother is in a nursing home uh, close to Basel and the German side. And um, yeah, my my brother um, and his wife and three kids are here, my sister-in-law brother-in-law and their three kids are here in in St. Gallen. And we um, actually really like the freedom that our children have here. Mm -hmm. In the United States, um, people keep their children prisoner. Essentially, you cannot let your children out of your eyesight or at least some caregiver's eyesight pretty much till they're 18, which I find crazy and not good for children. And so when we came back to St. Gallen, 
we actually have to teach our children that they can go to the neighborhood playground by themselves, that they can go and, you know, walk uh, to the grocery store and buy something there. And we had to tell them, you're Swiss kids now. And they were like, who's going to watch us? Who's going to watch us? Swiss kids are allowed to do those things by themselves. And um, that's, you know, that's a big reason uh, for us to stay here. And, you know, I don't mind. We still have a house in, in Boston uh, directly on the beach. And I love being there when I can do that. And we go, obviously, to see the kids' grandparents, my dad, my stepmom over there. And it's, um, yeah, it, it's for me, it's, it's the right balance of life. So you basically combined the ideal, the best of both, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, you also, as as a dual career couple, it has to work. Yeah. My husband um, really wanted to go home. He mm. always had a little bit of a disconnect with, with being in the U.S. Um, mm -hmm. And so he's happy here now. And, um, you know, what they say, happy husband, happy life. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually a perfect segue to the next section that I want to talk to you about. You know, we often talk about the co-founder and relationships being like marriage, but we rarely talk about your real romantic partner, your real marriage, and what kind of impact that can have on your personal career and business success. So what impact does Andreas have on your business career and what impact do you have on his? Um, well, I, you know, I think um, we have... A partnership in equality as you say that and that's what i i chose him for you know it was um it was a conscious decision he was already an entrepreneur he already had uh, that drive and ambition to do his own thing and since i aspired to that i was like this is he's a he's a cool guy and then he's also you know a very very generous and supportive person mm -hmm. um and, um, you know, I, I, as I said before, I wouldn't have had the guts to become an entrepreneur right out of university. I wouldn't have uh, done that. So um, people often ask me what the one most important decision in my life was, and it is to choose my, my husband to be with him. Um, he was my CTO at Pixability for eight years. Uh, it takes a special kind of person to um, report to their wife, right? Um, that's uh, not something that someone can do that doesn't have enough self-confidence. So Andreas is, is a quietly self-confident person. And he had been CEO before. So he was right. like, okay, I don't really want that job. I'm happy if my wife is the front woman, mm -hmm. uh, the face to the outside. And, you know, I'll do these other things. And, you know, um, we also decided to band together um, two years into me founding my second company, his startup didn't work out. It didn't survive the financial crisis. And so I um, said, okay, why don't we get, put our, all our eggs in one basket? Um, because I was pregnant at the time with our first child. And um, Andreas did 
together with with our nanny did a lot of the child care more than I could do because I had to travel I had to um, you know make sure that the company was represented to customers and we had five different locations uh, that I had to travel to and I couldn't have done that without a husband that really supported um, that job that I had to fulfill if you had to reflect on the question, what actually makes a good romantic or life partner, what would you say? Um, well, I, I think it has to do with certain things that you have in common, mm -hmm. um, where you have a common understanding of what you want to achieve in life, um, uh, a certain fitting, I think also personal background. Uh, you know, when, when I was at university, there were people from all different kinds of backgrounds and, you know, some from the European nobility and, uh, you know, very, um, you know, sons and daughters of very large companies, sort mm -hmm. of the, um, well, large mid-sized companies. And uh, that wasn't, that wasn't something that really fit, you know, that, um, that lifestyle. So Andreas came from a, uh, you know, a middle class family here from St. Gallen. And um, it just fit personally because we were um, interested uh, in art, in reading, in intellectual pursuits. Uh, we went to the movies and we loved to travel. And so, you know, there, there are those things. And then mm -hmm. on a professional level, we obviously spoke the same language. We both studied business administration. He had more of a focus on the technical side uh, of things, the computer science side of things. And I had more of the focus on the finance and accounting side of things. But we, we had the same language. So... Um, uh, whenever we have to solve relationship problems, we actually whiteboard them out. That sounds like a very good fit in that regard. <laughs> what would you actually say for, for your career to really also get this little push to jump into entrepreneurship? Your partner was essential to a certain degree. And would you recommend to look for a life partner before you actually start your entrepreneurial career or then postpone it until you have reached the exit level? Or do you mm. think it's possible to do both at the same time? Um, I recommend not to put any part of your life on hold while you're being an entrepreneur. Yeah. Um, no company and no co-founder and no investor will hold your hand when you're 85 years old, right? That will be uh, your your children, your partner, your siblings, uh, they'll be there for you. Maybe some really close friends, um, but it's not worth um, giving those relationships up or neglecting them for any uh, professional pursuit. Um, you have to put that first. And, um, you know, coming back to Switzerland was, I put my family first. It was, it was hard for me um, to mm -hmm. give up my my friends, because I have a lot of entrepreneurial friends giving up the company, you know, being the CEO of the company that I was with the team that I had built, that was not an easy thing for me. But it was an easy decision in terms of this is the right thing for my family. This is the right thing for my husband. And so I, um, 
I did that gladly and I'm happier for it. We're happier for it. And, you know, I, I, I love being in Switzerland too. You know, it's, uh, it's a wonderful place to, to be and um, also to help others become entrepreneurs, right? I can, I can make a dent in uh, the Swiss entrepreneurial uh, ecosystem. Um, and I really so happily do that. Um, you know, my, my role on the Swiss version of Shark Tank is to provide education to the general population. I believe that if we show people that, you know, Susan Herzog and Hans Uli Schmidt can can do that, right? If they have their they bring their dreams on TV and they get money for what they do, then others will say, well, you know, I've always had this idea. I've had this dream. Maybe I should start and then I could also be there and I'd, I'll find people that will help finance my dream. And I, you know, that really meshes with where I started out, mm -hmm. right? With founding Start at the University of St. Gallen. And I've had for over 15 years now an entrepreneurial office hour, which um, I'm just going to uh, have a plug here for. I always offer that up to any entrepreneur that wants to talk to me. I have every week, I have on Mondays, I have two slots available um, where I, I talk to entrepreneurs and they can sign up. All they have to do is go to calendly.com slash Bettina Hine and sign up. It may take a few months to get a slot because it's, um, yeah, I talk to a lot of people. And for me, um, all of this gives me a lot of meaning in my life, you know, not just being successful with my own ventures, but paying it forward to others. Um, um, because my goal is it is um, together with, with Andreas to create 5,000 jobs in our careers because um, that would be the amount of jobs it would take to feed the whole little city that I grew up in in Germany, um, Bad Nauheim. Um, if I could provide that many jobs, I could feed the whole town. Um, and uh, that is, that's inspiring, uh, you know, that motivates me every morning. It's not, you know, the dollar, the pot of gold at the end of creating a company. It's more what can I do for the people in my community, for um, my employees and, uh, you know, uh, for the general public as well. You're definitely an inspirational, motivating role model to follow. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you for saying that. You also mentioned like the common vision that you have to create 5,000 jobs. I also wonder, do you have any other like rituals or, you know, sort of things that you get into in, on a regular basis to also really take care of your personal relationship and invest enough time besides your both individual careers that you follow these days? Um, yeah, I mean, we, we, <laughs> we have a regular 
date night or in the pandemic we actually started doing a date lunch because that's easier with you know getting babysitters we weren't really comfortable with that and once a year we'll do a parents only vacation so we'll you know have the kids give them to the grandparents and um we just take off and do something and you know, there, there are things. And sometimes we actually attend conferences together um, nice. where we, you know, both have a speaking role or something, um, mostly in the entrepreneurial context. So um, that's kind of fun to do professional things together as well. So it, it sounds like a very natural and, and well-fitted mix that you have put together. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Um, I'm very, very grateful and fortunate for, for that. You've also done both. You supported each other while you're both pursuing your individual careers, but you also mentioned before, you also work together in the same company. Which option do you prefer? Um, you know, I like both. Um, obviously, it's it's kind of tough to have um, just every single day um, this this business that you're both trying your hardest to make successful mm -hmm. and then to separate that from your personal life. But um, we were able to do that. And, um, you know, we decided, okay, we did that for eight years. Um, I want to stay on the entrepreneurial side. Andreas wanted to become an investor and, um, and, and that works for us as well. I mean, we, we just really, um, like to troubleshoot together and you know i listen to what he's doing and you know what kind of companies he's investing in what he's experiencing there as a board member because i'm also obviously an investor and in, in companies uh now and i'm on on boards as well so we have that but he also understands my operator perspective of you know building a team getting investors for my own company and mm. um you know how you have to do sales right you have to do business development you have to do all of those things and he has very intimate understanding of that and so we we just can um actually communicate around that and um actually i find it interesting that some couples keep that completely separate and they don't know what you know they never talk about what one person does yeah. at, at work or what the other does. Um, I've heard that plenty of times and it astounds me that that works because for me, I think it's so important that we have this communication about what uh, what's going on in, in different parts of our lives because we have to empathize with where each person is, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, I'm currently right now in a funding round and and that's very intense because you have to talk to lots of investors and you have to really pitch 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 and have all of due diligence things available etc um and that requires me to have quite the focus and that mm -hmm. means andreas has to take over some of the things that i would uh usually do let's say on the family side or the kids side and um, and sometimes both of our busy periods coincide, and that's where we have to have 
um, a lot of understanding for each other because when stress levels both are high, you know, you can clash much more easily. And we've learned over the, over the years to communicate about that and Mm -hmm. say, look, I'm really stressed now, right now. I'm sorry that I like snapped at you. It's just, I'm really like doing this. And, um, that helps a lot, I think, in any partnership, not just between two uh, people that work in, in entrepreneurship. Yeah, that's a yeah wonderful story to share. Thank you for being so open about that. You're welcome. Now, you've also had already you know, quite some nice successes. You also earned some good money. Mm-hmm. You've done an exit. You've basically also handed over uh, your company to another CEO. What's next for you? What do you still have on your bucket list? Do you want to do an IPO soon or what's the goal? Oh, soon. (laughs) You're funny. (laughs) Every company that you start, you have to be in it um, for, you have to understand that it's a decade long endeavor. And I started Julie a year and a half ago. So there's still a long way to go. Plenty of time left. Yeah. Yeah. and, And so I've... You know, yes, I would like to take a company public at a certain point, but I feel less romantic about it than I did in my 20s where I was like, oh my God, that would be awesome. Because so many of my my friends have done things like that and it's not, it's not um, all that it's made out to be, right? Because you have to, you have totally different governance. You have to make quarterly numbers. You have to have all of this crazy reporting um, Sarbanes-Oxley regulations. So you have to really be up for that, uh, and, and understand that it's a different role than being in a private company. But yeah, I mean, I love learning and I love creating more jobs. So if I can do that, if the degrees of freedom that I have, um, Mm -hmm. that's really very important for me. I, don't do well if people restrict my ability to make decisions. Um, I, you know, I very happily carry a lot of responsibility for jobs and for the families uh, that my employees support on my shoulders. But if you take away my ability to um, make the strategic decisions or, um, you know, um, mold a team as I think is most effective, um, then, you know, then, then I can't be happy. Right. Um, so I think at this point I'm really unemployable. So this is, this is the option that is, (laughs) that is open to me and I, and I love doing it. Um, I did think long and hard about whether I would be happy just as a board member or as an Mm -hmm. investor. And, um, you know, I, I took uh, a year and a half to, to figure that out. And I just don't like being in the first derivative of something. Right. I really like to work in a team. I don't think that I'm actually I'm very good at not working in a team. This lone wolf mentality is the opposite of what is what I like to do and what is good for me also psychologically. Um, so I, you know, it was, it was hard to just, you know, be by yourself so much. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and so I, I really, you know, now 
a Julie has 14 people and I'm really in my comfort zone again. And it makes me happy to have this team, even though we're all remote and I work from home and we only see each other occasionally in the company. Um, it's still wonderful to have that community of people that you work with. And yeah. we spend plenty of time in, uh, at Julie to try to do this uh, team bonding across actually countries and time zones because there are 13 time zones between 13. Yes. Wow. <laughs> from, uh, from Krasnoyarsk in Russia to San Antonio, Texas. Um, we really have, um, a lot in there. So you have to find time for team bonding. You have to check in uh, more with people and be more deliberate about the mm. company culture that you build. But I'm, I'm extremely passionate about doing that and, and building a company that uh, is stable, building an organization. I started doing that when I was 16 years old. And building organizations and their culture is just something I really enjoy. And I'm, I think I'm really good at as well. That's the perfect sweet spot to be in. <laughs> it's also impressive how self-reflected and self-aware you are, because I think that's the crucial part, right? Not, there's not one solution that fits all. You have to understand what am I good at? What do I enjoy? Like you said before, the lone wolf setup is not good for you. Mm -hmm. So you choose something different. I think that's key to find your sweet spot that you can also be happy, but also successful at the same time. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think um, if you don't have passion uh, for, for what you do, you have to get up at least most mornings, maybe not every morning, but <laughs> most mornings really excited to yeah. go uh, to your job, to um, work with the people that you work with. And I have an awesome privilege in life. My The biggest privilege in my book is that you get to choose the people that you work with. And I get to do that. I get to choose every single person uh, that I, I work with. And um, I get to also imbue um, the whole organization with a culture that it needs to integrate that person and the other people into a cohesive team. And that just makes it so much more pleasant than fitting into an, an organization where you're, you know, you're, you don't have that much uh, leeway to shape things. I think that's a wonderful way to end today's episode. Before we wrap up, we have one last section for you. Some rapid fire questions. Oh gosh. Are okay. you ready? Yeah. <laughs> so I either give you a short question or a selection of different options and you have to explain your choice or your answer in one sentence. All right. I will. Let's start. What was your summer job as a teenager? I mostly did internships at different companies, um, uh, as I mentioned earlier, uh, those things. But my very first job was actually um, fundraising for a charity. Nice. Um, yes, for uh, the German War Graves um, Association. And uh, what I learned there is that you get the most money from the poorest houses. Well, that's impressive. Mm -hmm. Founder or investor? Founder. That's a clear choice. <laughs> Regret making an investment or not making it? Mm. 
not making it. Is that easier to, to handle? Um, I, I mean, I, I don't feel I like thus far I've had really good investments. Mm -hmm. Not all of them are working as well as maybe they could, sure. but, um, you know, I haven't lost an investment yet. So, you know, that will happen obviously, but, um, but yeah, no, I, I love working with the entrepreneurs that I work with. Bootstrapping a company or fundraising? Fundraising. I, I, I feel that I'm honestly not capable enough to, to bootstrap a company. And, you know, my companies are obviously very technology heavy yeah. and we bring in lots of data and apply AI. And that just takes a while to build software that works and then scale it. How many hours of sleep did you get last night? Um, I would have to look that up on Julie. Um, do you want me to look it up? No, just a rough guess. Like um, we don't need the specific number, but what, what do you think was? Um, right. Um, I would say about seven and a half. Cool. That's a good amount. Um, yes. And it's very important. I actually get really mad at people that come to work tired. Yeah. Um, I don't pay you to come uh, to work tired. I don't pay you to come to work drunk. I don't pay you to come to work stoned. And if you don't take care of yourself, uh, you can't actually perform. Being a startup CEO is a high performance sport and you have to make sure you take care of yourself. That's a very clear statement. Absolutely. I like that. Yep. I'm very strict about it. And the last question for you, the last choice, United States or Switzerland? Ah, <laughs> that's so mean. I'm not going to answer that. <laughs> the, the neutral choker. <laughs> yes. That's all right. We, we accept that. I think it's a unique situation that you're in. So it's, it's a pretty unfair question to ask. <laughs> well, you know, um, I do have to say uh, that I just got my Swiss citizenship. Congrats. Um, nice. And I don't have U.S. citizenship. So okay. maybe, you know, that's... That, that gives us a hint. That also gives, <laughs> gives you a hint. But my new company is in the United States. So... You understand why I have to of be course. neutral on of that course. question. Bettina, thank you so much for taking the time. It was a pleasure talking to you and all the best. Lots of success. And we're very excited to see what you're building and achieving in the future. Thank you so much for having me. This episode was brought to you by Swisspreneur's main partner, Clara Business, the digital all-in-one solution for small businesses. Managing internal processes manually and on paper wastes an incredible amount of time. That's why Clara digitizes everything, allowing you to focus on what really matters, your core business. Go to clara.ch to find out how your business administration can be simpler, faster, and more efficient. Again, that's clara.ch.